Okay, so today we have the next session from Brian. Uh, so Brian is the Senior Director, Sales Development at Aircall, and he is going to talk about outbound engine of Aircall. Brian, over to you. Hello, world. I am super pumped to be here today and super pumped to be a part of this with all of you. Let me just get my screen up here. Okay, let's get going. Awesome. We're going to talk about outbound today, which by the way, if you can't tell by my voice, is probably one of my favorite things in the world to talk about. Super excited for it. So uh, a little bit about this. So I've been making a, pro a, a career out of building outbound processes for companies. It's kind of my, my little thing that I love to do. It's a guilty pleasure. And in doing so, I've kind of defined a few things that we should be thinking about when, when really starting an outbound engine. Um, something to also think about with this, it's a lot. So you want to talk about a binge, it is binge worthy. We are going to be binging like crazy. So we're going to go over ICP, activation, lead ops, planning, ROEs, which stands for rules of engagement, uh, establish, assess, and improve. And then we'll have one final slide as well. Let's get to it. ICP. So what's your ICP? I get started with this a lot. ICP, ideal customer profile. The thing is, is that if you're first getting started selling a product, you might not know what it is, right? Uh, who do I sell to? Where do I begin? It's not what your company can sell to. Because many times in the B2B space, we can sell to a lot of people, especially if you're a SaaS platform. You can sell to almost anybody, right? So it's, it's actually who best fits for your company. A little bit different in terms of what that actually feels like. If you have already have a large inbound engine, the answer to this question usually sits there. Go take a look at your data, export your CRM, dig, 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 and figure out who generally is buying from you. That's a great way to get started. But if you're starting from scratch, you might be figuring out like, where do I begin? And you might have to be more, excuse me, more qualitative before quantitative, meaning a little bit more gut checks, a little bit more like, hmm, who do I think this really fits for? And that's okay to be like that. Second, you're gonna think about your industry. You wanna think about the size of the company, the, maybe the team. Uh, you wanna think about their revenue. You wanna think about their customer. It's not just about how you're serving them. Sometimes it's about how you're helping them serve their customer. And you wanna think that far ahead because I think Daryl just said a minute ago in his session, you wanna be thinking about the buyer from the shoes of the buyer. You want them to be really excited in terms of why they should be interacting with you. Um, Defining personas, that's a, the, the absolute next step from there. There's really three guys, okay? And it boils down to three things. You have decision maker, influencers, and champions. Decision maker, that's your contract signer. Influencer is pretty much anybody that has a key stake in that decision. And then champion, they're usually lower level, but man, if you can get a good champion, you're gonna get all the keys to the kingdom in terms of what's happening internally. And anybody else is a gatekeeper and you should treat them as such. Finally, you might want to consider at this point, is GDPR going to be an issue for your persona? We can get deep into the world of GDPR another on another session. See me at the next B2B binge. Okay, so activation is our next section. How do we activate our market? You want to think about sales cycle, right, guys? Like some of you might have a sales cycle that might be under 30 days. Some of you might have it over 30 days. What I found in B2B sales is that that 30-day mark is really that middle ground. Before 30 days is really a transactional sale. Anything greater than that is quite more consultative. And if you can understand the difference between a, tra a traditional, like uh, a transactional sale versus a consultative approach, you're going to already have a leg up. So transactional, you're looking for the credit card, right? You're trying to get the quick sale, the quick win. Your consultative approach is about relationship building. But no matter what happens, the one thing you're gonna want in your activation plan is you wanna think about the buyer's expectations. What do they expect from you? What is it that they're thinking like, man, 
I've already seen their website. I've already seen what they do. I'm pretty much engaged with what it is that they offer. Like what's their expectations then at this point from the salesperson? That's really important. And finally, the most crucial thing in today's market, especially with everything going on in the world, especially with COVID and everything that we have to deal with, you wanna stand out in the noise. There's a lot of noise, guys. I can tell you right now, I got at least 16 messages already today from salespeople saying, hey, Brian, I wanna talk to you. The thing is, is that that's a lot of noise. So how are you standing out? What are some ways in which you can be different that just, just touches the, the little bit of the pull strings, the heart strings of that buyer? Next, we pop into lead ops. This is a new thing for me even. I only experimented it with this year. I got news for you. It really expands, expands your opportunities. Brian, what's lead ops? Yes, you wanna have lead lists, you wanna have leads, you wanna get that, that down for your team, but actually having a team of people that they only focus on generating that lead, that lead list, that prospecting piece, Oh man, that's not your SDR guys. That's a whole nother section. It's one team of people that can go identify who it is that you should be reaching out to in the first place. And man, when you strip that from the SDR and you only let the SDR work on the things they should be working on, like phone calls, emails, social touches, video engagements. Whoa, what does that open up in terms of your world? So Remove the prospecting from SDR. You're going to get a major time gain back to them and you're going to get a major return gain from there. Then establish your data source. All data sources are not created equal. You want to try many options. You want to vet them quickly. Finally, you want to identify your strategy, right? Back to activation. If you're consultative, maybe you're doing like a key account ABM strategy. If you're more tr uh, transactional, maybe it's just a list, a list uh, uh, poll, right? And you're just going to go activate the, as many people in a market as you possibly can. Either is valid. You need to pick the strategy that works for you. Uh, establish a person or a team to oversee the whole kit and caboodle of it. You want to make sure that they understand that. You want to make sure that you have certain KPIs attached to them. Um, finally, lead ops can also help you with sales ops. So think about this, right? If you are a maybe in a, a, a like a, a 100, 200, 300, 500 person company, you might not have a sales ops team that can fully support just your sales dev outbound focus. They have focuses from every part of the business. But if you designate lead ops to be on your side, now you might have someone that's a little bit more sales oppy to be on your side, help you things about measuring the ideal number of touches for a prospect, the ideal number of contacts that you should be getting, your accounts, your SDRs, your SDRs uh, should be working, how many they should be working, and the cadences that they should be touching with. That's like a, an ideal scenario for your lead ops team. We go into planning next. Whoo, man, am I on fire. So build your plan. You might have heard of cadences or sequences or whatever the ENSES is. Here's the thing, okay? As long as you understand that outbound sales development is a series of time combined with a series of touches, that's what matters, right? So if you have a short sales cycle, you might want more condensed touches, more impactful urgency, the one-two punch that's in the corner of the ring. If you have a longer sales cycle, you might want to be thinking relationship builder, more spread out touches, softer, softer approach building that relationship long-term. Some things to keep in mind with your planning. There's two things. You want to think about number of contacts per account per week. You want to think about number of touches per contact per cadence. And that's going to be really important. Those things are going to help you actually identify what's working and what's not. Finally, 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 when we all give accounts to SDRs or to your AEs that might be outbound sellers, 
we want to think about what's their max capacity that they can handle at scale in terms of activating that market. All too often do I see teams give 3,000 prospects to a person and say, go to the market. And man, is that not going to work if you're not really preparing them for success? How can they be doing a number of touches to 3,000 people over a series of time? The math just doesn't work. So make sure you ca calculate their max capacity. We go to rules of engagement. Why is this important? Because guys, guess what? Now the buyer, in terms of their expectations, they're touching your brand from a series of places. It's not just outbound, it's inbound, it's partnerships, it's channel partnerships, it's executive relationships, it's events, it's everywhere. And if you're not clearly defining who owns that lead and why before it even happens, you're setting yourself up for internal battles and cannibalization of your overall uh, profit. So here's how you think about it. Define the channel crossover. How will it work internally? Build out your last touch rules. Like, hey, if I touched it within this amount of time, this goes to outbound. If I touch it in this amount of time, it goes to inbound. Rules for re-engagement. Who's allowed to and when? Is it the AEs? Is it the SDRs? Who owns that? Finally, deciding these will help align the dollars to the appropriate channels. We go next to one of our last two slides. I'm flying. I hope it's not going over. Keep me honest, Deb. So establish, assess, and improve. All right. What does this even mean? Establish, wanna start there. Define the KPIs, implement your plan, create your tests and establish A-B testing for every single touch that you have. An A-B test, just so you understand, is not like, I'm gonna change the entire freaking thing that I'm reaching out with. No, it's changing one thing at a time until you can understand and best optimize the performance of that campaign. Second, assess, measure your KPIs. Something I keep as a rule of thumb, I'm not measuring anything until there's at least 1000 touches done on that actual inter interaction. Why? Because I need a data, a, a chunk of data to actually measure against. A thousand tends to be a good, a, a good number, a good round number for that. One thing to keep in, in mind and assess, you want to look at the macro as much as you want to look at the micro. And what I mean by that in outbound is that you might be looking at the micro and being like, man, we are just like not progressing this deal enough yet. Like this is not happening as fast as I want it to. But when you look at the macro, you can be like, whoa, look at all this pipeline that's actually set up for Q4. We are actually making some great progress. You need to keep both perspectives in mind and good sales dev people that are building outbound processes, good outbound leadership in general, understands that they, under, they own hand in hand with their sales compadres. They own that entire funnel from beginning to end. You gotta own it. Um, finally, improve. So experiment to refine your outcomes, change. Don't be, don't settle. If you feel like you're not getting the return you want, Feel free to make that change, but have the data to support it. Uh, all right, finally, 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 bring it all together. What does this mean? Guys, you have multiple stakeholders. You have multiple people that you're working with to build these campaigns usually. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's just you, but you need to itemize out what that plan looks like. Create a campaign overview for what you're actually trying to achieve in that outbound strategy. Identify the goals so that you know when you're being successful, you know how you have achieved something. And finally, build out the specifications, the ownerships, who owns what, get it all together. Get your stakeholders involved. Don't build this just on your own. Have it a multitude of different people, bring them together, build that plan, and then hold people accountable to it. Ladies and gentlemen, outbound at air call, what questions do we have? Wow, that was some session. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for the presentation. It was very, yeah. very, very energetic. Okay, <laughs> let's start with the questions. I hope I can match your pace. So how often should I verify my prospect's data is the first question. 
Oh man, let me tell you something. Data stinks, okay? It does, it just stinks. I've never yet met a beta provider that had it all worked out. So how long, you how much should you vet it? Look, it's ongoing. The answer is it's ongoing. At the beginning, you need to vet everything and understand it, right? You need to understand what the quality is, check okay. it yourself. Don't just trust, right? You gotta check and verify on your own. But then second, you need ongoing checks and balances to ensure that what you're being provided in terms of data is actually accurate and maps well. Right. So next question we have is, does the new work from home culture have affected the timings of cold calls? Hmm. You know, it's, it's an ongoing question, but here's the thing that I'd like to keep in mind. Okay. People are on the phone and it, because think about it this way, guys, no one left their office and didn't forward their phone. No one did that. Okay. They'd be missing money. So has it affected the way you can cold call? No, I think you need to be able to be mindful in how you're approaching people so that, but I think that's just in general, right? That's just a general touch. There's nothing that you need to extra do in terms of cold calling to make it more efficient in a work from environment. The only thing you actually need to do is do it. You need to pick up the phone and go. And I think that's actually the biggest barrier is that that phone weighs about 500 pounds for most sales reps. The next question that we have, Ryan, is actually the answer that we are giving. So how to sound empathetic and not hard sell over a call? Yeah, like, look, look, it's a matter of open-ended questioning, right? A hard sell is, but don't you see why this value means something for you? Look, if they are questioning you in the first place, they don't, and that's the whole thing. We don't get to sell what we think matters to the person. We get to sell what we discover matters to the person. You need to ask the right questions to uncover their pain. More important to pain, though, is the impact that that pain is having on the business. You don't get both ways. That's not how this works. You need to go and get the extra level to understand, oh man, wow, that sounds like that's really, really painful to the business and it's impacting you this way. Yes, it is. Awesome. If I was able to help you understand how you could maybe triple X that issue or, or get rid of that issue, would that help you? Would that, would that solve that issue, Mr. Customer? That's the kind of conversation you need to have. But you, that's how you build empathy into it. Empathy, just wanted to note on this, Deb, empathy is not, I know that COVID's impacting mm. people. Listen, that, that's enough, guys. We've done that enough already. It's overplayed out. COVID's a fact impacting everyone. Everyone knows it. What does empathy mean? It means it needs to be authentic. That's yeah. what it means. Correct. The next question that we have is, how do you make the outbound engine sustainable? Yeah, it's a, it's a hard question, right? Listen, first and foremost, outbound is expensive. You need to understand that channel, but it is an essential aspect to your overall sales strategy. You might be able to get a four or five to one LTV over CAC on an inbound lead. You might be able to do that, but on outbound, it might be more like one to one, two to one. That is something you're going to have to deal with, but you need to have those extra customers. One thing that you could do and think about is that your outbound deals should be larger. They should be more targeted just in general, unless you have like a machine, unless you're like able to churn things out where you're getting a sale every three to eight days, three to 10 days, you want to have some larger sales so that when that deal hits, man, life is good, right? Nice. So how nice. is it sustainable? You got to build a culture of people that can actually go out and do it and love going after and, and hunting, right? That's the first thing. But secondly, you need to have the proper expectations, not just for yourself, but internally within your leadership organization to know that it's going to take time to vet and be successful. Right, right. Okay, the next one is my favorite out of all the list. So is how did Aircall personalize their outbound? Yeah. Well, I mean, just in general, we personalize our outbound, okay? And what I mean by this is, 
when we build out our outbound uh, touch points, the one thing we never ask is, hey, um, how does air call, how do you think air call can help you? That's not, that's just not how we approach it, mm -hmm. right? What we know, we know everybody has a phone system. We know that if they don't have a phone system, they, they might need a phone system. And then we also understand that everyone, if they have a phone system, has a contract in place for that phone system. So for us, it's very easy. We're just going to go and find the key individuals that we're going to reach out to. What is it that they oversee? What's their major focuses and pain points? What is it that they deal with on a day-to-day that air call solves for? For instance, sales okay. management. Number one thing they could, be co they could be doing is coaching their reps more, right? Like it's an absolute thing that they could be doing more of. Well, air call system happens to have a tool that does that even very, very effectively. So when we reach out to that individual, one of the questions is, hey, how, how impactful right now, especially with a work from home environment, would it be to, to be able to coach your team and coach the calls that they're having on a daily basis? If that's a sales manager and that's who you're selling to, they're going to go, it's really important, man. So can you tell me a little bit about the process by which you go about doing that? Man, I'm in, I'm in. I'm in. They've answered my question. I personalized it to their actual job. It's not just let me just differentiate. Personalization is not, hey, I heard you went to Siena College. Man, I love Siena College. Okay, how do you do sales? Like that's just not how this works, guys. It's two very different things. You're not trying to take the person out for a date. You're trying to help them do business. Right, correct. So next one we have is, uh, what are some of the myths associated with outbound engine? Uh, okay. What are some of the, uh, the misses associated with outbound engine? No, the myth. Like there is a myth that this is oh, happened. that happened. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Okay. The outbound is going to happen quick. It's probably the number <laughs> one thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 uh, I, I, when I first got into outbound sales uh, development, one of the conversations I had with the leader was like, well, I don't understand why this isn't coming together quicker. And it was like, wait a minute. Like, I don't know what your expectations were going in. I learned very quickly in my career that you need to make sure even before you engage the outbound conversation that you understand the time it takes to build an outbound deal. The second, here's the second, and this is a really interesting one. The inbound buyer and the outbound buyer are two different people. One is a hand raise, sell me. Hmm. The other is a, um, tell me why I care. And that's a very different thing, people. And you need to approach it differently. If you're not approaching it differently, whoo, you can take a big step back. The biggest myth in, in outbound sales is probably that right there. Right, right. The next one we have is how often do you rap in your free time? Just asking after seeing your energy. <laughs> oh, I don't rap. Uh, it's not even my, maybe that this is something that, but I don't rap. Uh, I, uh, you know what? Here's the thing, right? I'll talk about energy for just a second. I want you all to think about this for a minute. There's an old quote that says 60% that all of us live to 60% of our fullest potential at any one time that we leave 40% on the table. So how do you go out today and access that extra 40%? That's my answer to that question. <laughs> okay. So the next one that we have is what are the challenges in building an outbound engine? Oh man. Outside of what I just said, <sighs> challenges in building an outbound engine I think one of the big ones that we didn't talk about is building the belief of the outbound deal and getting buy-in from your sellers. Here's something that I want you guys to keep in mind, okay? If you have targets for your sellers, okay, and they're mixed targets, meaning they, let's say it's $10,000 they need to sell of, of monthly revenue on a, on a monthly basis, okay? That's what they need to go sell. And they, you don't care how they get it, inbound or outbound, and you have a robust inbound engine. Well, if I have a $500 inbound deal or a $500 outbound deal, where the inbound's gonna close in 15 days, or the outbound's gonna close in nine months, which one am I gonna go work? 
you need to understand, right? Like, how are you setting up your outbound funnel for success? That would be my answer to that question. Right. Actually, uh, moving forward uh, with the same thought is like with most of the businesses inclined towards inbound now, does a business choose between, how does a business choose between inbound and outbound? Don't, you have to do both. Okay, you have to do both. I think if you're first getting started, it's like the chicken or the egg conversation. Do I, do I spend money for marketing dollars that I don't have to try to generate inbound business or do I go outbound and try to generate it that way? I think some of the smartest marketers that I've seen and work with, I think what they do is they go and establish a network of people to go and champion their brand before the brand's even a thing. And they get them people really excited about it, which automatically builds inbound, but simultaneously gives the groundwork for an outbound engine. I think that's kind of it. I don't think you choose. Hmm. I think a lot of companies do. I think that if you can get a lot of inbound process up front, you can get a lot of inbound people in the, in the door. Cool. If that's the case, run it for a bit, build that engine, get the sales in, understand how to sell the deal, and then understand how your buyer might change from an outbound perspective and go to market. <laughs> we have a very, very interesting question coming in now. Hasn't yep. HubSpot stained the word outbound with their inbound marketing hype? <laughs> I, I don't think HubSpot's responsible for that. I think that salespeople are responsible for that. Look, here, right? First off, we give, I, I love keeping this in perspective. This is actually an old, an old story that I stole from somebody, but it's a really, it's accurate and it's really interesting and I have the moment, so I'm going to tell it. Okay. I'm Dan, I'm gonna do it with you. What do you think is the most trusted uh, job in the world? What's the most trusted job? Doctors, maybe. Okay, people <laughs> think doctors, but it's a firefighter. Firefighters are the most trusted person in the world. Okay, who's the least trusted person in the world? Profession. I don't know, sales. <laughs> sales people, <laughs> yes. That's right, now here's where it gets really fun. What's the second least trusted profession in the world? marketing <laughs> <laughs> politicians we're worse than politicians people and why is that because we're overselling we're under delivering we're not living up to the expectations yeah. spot stain the word outbound no my friends salespeople stain the word salespeople and that's what we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis you need to be human to human you need to be trustworthy you need to have integrity you need to go to market trying to help people all right we have just one last question and three more minutes so i think we can take that up what are the key metrics to measure the effectiveness of an outbound process? That's a multifaceted question. Um, so I, you could, I could probably build a whole deck on this, but I'll give you the simple answer. Yeah. I think the very first part is what are your inputs, okay? I have an old, an old colleague of mine that makes fun of me because I always boil it down to something simple. And I think outbound is just a matter of inputs and outputs. But let me just figure this out, okay? The, if you can think about your inputs, okay, number of touches, what are those touches? How often are those touches happening? What's the conversion rate on your touches, right? The conversion rate meaning number of people replying and then also number of people replying to a meeting set. Understand that piece first. After you get the meeting set, you need to understand the conversion metrics from there. Okay, the meeting set, it went to a qualified, verified, bonafide opportunity. What's that conversion rate? From there, you have conversion rates around every single stage of the funnel. And a good outbound person is going to understand every single one of those. But if you're asking what's key metrics to hold your team to, I would hold my team to those, those, those inputs that they're doing. Because if you hold them to the inputs that they're doing and, the, and they're not actually getting any result, you have to look at the 
quality. And if you can coach the quality, good. If you can't coach the quality, it's not going to work out. And if you do coach the quality and it's still not working out, my friends, that person just might not be meant for outbound sales. Right. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for answering all the questions. And this is the first time we have finished all the questions. <laughs> Thank yes. you so much. <laughs> My absolute pleasure. It's been a pleasure, Deb. Thanks so much for the, for you and the team. Thank and I'm you. Excited. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for joining in. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you for watching the recording. Do check us out at Ambers B2B Bench for more such killer content. Also, don't forget to go to www.amplus.com and book your free demo for Amplus Enterprise version to rate your next customer.